Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. I'm really excited about today's episode. We've got a fantastic guest on the show. He is the Principal Fellow of Advanced Propulsion at Warwick University in the Warwick Manufacturing Group, sometimes known as WMG. It's a guy called Ian Goodman, and Ian is an expert on electric vehicle battery systems, having been involved in the space for many, many years uh, since before it was fashionable. And you know what? He's, he's really just a super nice guy. Um, so without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Ian to the show. Um, so, Ian, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> um, so, I guess uh, to get straight down to it, um, how about, um, you know, because back, when, when was it uh, that you first got into battery systems? I, I suppose I started uh, battery systems generally about, about 30 years ago. But lithium battery systems, you know, only only probably about uh, 15, 12, 15 years ago, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was. Um, uh, it what was, were you thinking? It was that, well, <laughs> I know, yeah. Um, so it was something that had just sort of captured my imagination. That everything I'd been doing before sort of paled into insignificance in in terms of power and energy density, and it was just that that just opened up a massive number of opportunities and 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 that was the you know that that happening and building a couple of battery packs and trying out some design ideas was really the impetus to to set up uh, uh, my wife and I to set up our own business wow and i mean of course back then so i always tell the story um that i set up avid before electric vehicles were cool and uh, so back then <laughs> i was talking the uh, the pre-Tesla years, like early, early days of electrification. So it was not a cool thing to be involved in um, at all. What did, Were you looking, were you thinking electric vehicles or was it sort of, um, were you just interested in batteries and energy systems or did you did you kind of see what was going to happen? Oh, it, no, it was very much electric vehicles. And um, the, the what actually sort of kicked it off and especially my wife and I deciding to put our life savings into a business was um, we watched a couple of films um, An Inconvenient Truth and Who Killed the Electric Car and and those were you know we, the, the ideas had been percolating in the background for a couple of years and it was we you know and I couldn't have done it without my wife's support. And it, and, and we, we watched them and they said, no, this is it. This is what we're going to do now. We're, we're going to try and make a difference. And, and, and that, that was the real sort of start of it. And, you know, whilst you know, it had a, you know, a massive passion for electric vehicles and had been building them for a long time, that was the, the moment of truth that we, yeah, we said, okay, we put our money where our mouth is kind of thing. You make it a business. And it, back then it wasn't, I know, I know, because we we were back then as well. You couldn't go out and buy anything like not nothing no. existed. But no. Cell suppliers weren't really. Yeah. So how how did you go about actually so, 
getting started? So I, through the internet, I picked up a few contacts um, in Taiwan. And um, with a fair chunk of our startup money, I started traveling all across, across Asia. Right. Um, and doing everything from speaking at, at conferences to uh, you know, trying to validate supply chains and speaking to cell manufacturers and really um, you know, using my engineering understanding um, to, to try and work out whether they were going to be a good manufacturer and they were going to last. And um, I wasted a lot of time, but you know that <laughs> I did I really did waste a lot of time. So was that because you, know, you found... they say there are there are liars, there are damn liars, and then there are cell manufacturers, <laughs> um, <laughs> as opposed to battery system integrators. As opposed to, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, so I, I spent a, a lot of time and a lot of travelling, and um, I, I made a few contacts really quickly that allowed us to. Uh, pick a nuts and bolts assembly technology that we could adapt very easily for any particular shape and a lot of different applications. And, you know, there is no one size fits all uh, cell, but we we found something that was kind of middle of the road, reasonably powerful, and we could actually provide solutions. And that, that's what really kicked it off. And um, we can actually start selling products, but very, very quickly realized that, you know, you had to provide a complete solution. So we then spent the rest of our seed money on developing battery management systems and systems integration technologies and uh yeah we 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 grew from you know starting in late 2007 um by 2010 we had 30 staff and you know we're, we're generating you know a couple of million revenue a year wow. and had done some really prestigious projects so who was kind of um, oh no! Actually, first question: What what was the back then? What was the kind of cell technologies that you were seeing? Was it PO4 or was it something? Yeah, the vast vast majority of it was live PO4, lithium ion phosphate, and there was there was NMC and NCA technologies around. But customers we were working with had seen how badly things go wrong with those technologies when they go wrong. Yeah, and and live PO4 is much more benign. Uh, so we just didn't get asked for it very often and and when we did it was always down to to mass you know you would try you had to have the absolute lightest battery and um you know, so then and, you would go for the more racy nmc yeah, or nca chemistries and, and that's it and, and your pack development time on those technologies because you had to do a lot more around safety and you had to do a lot more testing and validation work you know it, it was expensive right and um everyone balks at non-recurring engineering costs and uh, even now um, you know it's considered oh well you know these are made in their millions so surely they should be a hundred dollars a kilowatt hour because that's here <laughs> yeah. on Bloomberg so um, you know the, the reality obviously is is very different so yeah and did that, that did so the PO LIFE PO4 did that stay the dominant kind of chemistry for you or did you see it shift as the the others um, started to improve and become more stable and more understood was there a ti- was there a yeah. timeline there so I, I would say until about 2013 um life po4 was pretty much you know the vast majority of the chemistry that we we sold and it wasn't until about 2013 2014 when there were a number of manufacturers that started producing chemistries where uh, you know nickel manganese chemistries that actually gave you a level of safety you could cope with and, and you and they were very predictable 
uh, ways in which they failed. So that means you can then design a battery management system that deals with that. So they never get to that failure point. And now we were getting a lot more sophisticated in our analysis and, um, and our testing, which gave us a lot more confidence in selling the product. And, and yeah, we, you know, towards 2015, I would say LifePO4 was probably only about 20% of uh, what we sold. And, and that was much more into energy storage rather than automotive. You know, there was a big, a big chunk of the early business was, was automotive and it, and uh, that technology that we developed there sort of ended up swinging into energy storage. Um, and we sort of, you know, did a bit more LTO as well, Titanate. Um, but yeah, it was the NMC type technologies that that really um, took over in automotive. Yeah. Um, so what was uh, in that in that kind of period? I don't know. Could you say what your kind of typical project looked like? What were the what kind of customers were coming to you? I, I can honestly say there wasn't a typical customer. Right. And I, um, if if you wanted variety, that was that was the business to be in because, um, you know, we'd have in a week, we'd have uh, you know, a couple of automotive projects. One might have been a truck, might have been a passenger car. You'd have a couple of uh, robotics or energy storage. Um, uh, we used to get uh, you know, ones off completely off the wall. We had uh, someone wanted to have uh, 100 kilowatt hours of battery on the bottom of the seabed to run a load of sensors. And we had to design it inside a pressure vessel. Um, <laughs> And, you know, it, that, that's the great thing about batteries, I think, from an engineering standpoint, is that everything uses them. Yeah. So, you know, there is, you know, if you're a battery systems engineer, you span every industry. Yeah. And there's lots of opportunity. Yeah. And, and well, I guess now, as the functionality of the performance of the batteries is getting better and better all the time and the costs are coming down, actually, you're seeing them in more and more different applications. So it's, mm. it's now, you know, doing grid reinforcement and fast frequency response yep. is a big, that's a recent, you know, and obviously electric vehicles and mm. all sorts of robotics and warehouse equipment. And it's a huge, um, massive transition of, of technologies that really it's, it's all about the battery. The battery is the enabler, it is. isn't it? You know, it is, that's it. And, and you can do a lot with a battery to solve problems outside of the battery. Mm. Yeah. You know, whether that's the cooling system or whether it's the, the traction system, you know, there are ways you can tweak the battery that help problems elsewhere. So a lot of the work we were doing ended up being, uh, you know, touching on every element of the full, uh, full system. Well, that, so that's quite interesting because um, <clears throat> there's, there's this sort of principle in the market. You've got various different strategies from different um, manufacturers. So I'm talking the automotive market now mm-hmm. and you've got, some companies where they're saying, right, we believe that this is all about the battery. And if we we want to do electric vehicles, we need to have an in-depth understanding of the battery. We need to own that supply chain and um, and basically have, have our own sort of uh, capability right from uh, cells to full packs. And then you have other companies saying, we want to make cars. We don't want to make batteries. They're, uh, that's not our core competency. Um, we don't want to do that. In terms of a... A strategy would you see you know what, what what do you think is the best what do you think is going to work and give how well how deep are your pockets ryan <laughs> yeah, that, that's what it comes down to mine aren't very deep <laughs> <laughs> i've got I mean, even shorter arms what, what what 
Tesla have done is the only way they could have made the Model 3 yeah. and made it profitable. And I do think that every other manufacturer is going to, to struggle to have the pricing that the Model 3 now does and be profitable without yeah. that fully integrated uh, you know, top-to-bottom supply chain. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree. Um, it was interesting, though, seeing um, recently, so Nissan, who obviously have been a big leader in this, and they've, they, I mean, it's, there's a couple of, hasn't quite happened yet, but it's, it is in the public domain that they're selling their battery business. Yeah. Which seems like a, I don't know, that seems like a backward step from where the conclusion that others seem to be making is is they're getting to the, ah, we need to have more control over this, but they're kind of stepping back from it. Yeah, and, and I think that's basically a function of, um, as I said earlier, there is no one-size-fits-all battery. Right. But the battery technology they've got there is just one size. It right. isn't flexible. It is just one mechanical assembly, and uh, you know it won't it won't work in every application. Um, so I think what they what they're probably doing, and I have no inside information on this, but my my external view is that they just want to be more flexible at, with, you know, where they are at the moment. Yeah. And I think you know no, nobody's late to the party on this. You know, there's plenty of time, and the way you know the, the amount of time it takes to go from a proven chemistry in the lab to being commercially viable um you know is a long time and and yeah. things do move slowly in the battery industry the manufacturing it moves very very fast you know the 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 ramp rate on cell manufacturing is phenomenal yeah. but it, it takes a hell of a long time to get to that point where the you know the cell's ready to be made in its millions yeah it does and it i mean it always strikes me that cell plants are so dependent on utilization it's 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 i mean they're quite eerie really when you go in a cell plant there's not normally mm. a lot of people around and there's a lot no. of very expensive machinery the people that are around tend to be um wearing face masks and uh, <laughs> actually not i was gonna say face masks and lab coats but not even face masks and lab coats you know it's the full like mars exploration gear um yeah. inside yeah. the cell plant um so it's a little bit spooky because you can't tell who anyone actually is and can't really hear what they're saying properly and there's all this very, very, very expensive equipment processing at just the most mind-boggling rates of yeah. thin sheets of material that are flying around everywhere and, and bringing it together into cylindricals or into pouch cells. Mm. But the, the, the trouble with that kind of plant is, um, you know, if you're not running it at 100% capacity, it's, it's costing you a huge amount of money in terms mm. of um, slack capacity. So it's... It must. It's a very difficult balance in terms of um, the costs and the capital expenditure on the plant, and how much you think mm. you're going to sell, and how that's going to all balance out. I, I would think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think what Tesla did is they picked a company, a partner to work with, that were absolutely the top of their field when it came to chemistry in that particular form factor, mm. and yeah. then bet the farm on it. And um, rightly or wrongly. Um, it's gotten to where they are now, and I don't think they could have done it any other way. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember in about 2013 um, walking around the first BYD battery factory and and having a tour there. Yeah. And at the scale of it, even then, was enormous. Mm. Um, and you know, they 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 showed us their uh, quality control area and um, the timing of every aspect of it. And we, you know, it, it wasn't running to, to full capacity, but we worked out, my colleague and I, that it had probably about 3.2 gigawatt hours wow. of capacity. <laughs> yeah. And 
you know, when when you see them put three hundred uh, plus now uh, kilowatt hours in a bus, yeah. yeah, you can understand why they need that. And they're you know they're selling a lot of buses all yeah. over the world now. And you know the partnership they have with uh, is it Alexander Dennis? Yeah, yeah. UK, so yeah. You know, in the UK uh, and a few others around the world, um, yeah, you know they, they had to do that. They had to take control. Yeah, they often. Um, I mean, they're very very different companies in terms of how they look sort of from the outside, mm. but but actually BYD and Tesla like have a lot of similarities in that they have both kind of gone for the, well, we're we're really a battery manufacturer, or I think Tesla say they're a, something mm. like a vertically energy. integrated energy yeah. company or something. Yeah. Better marketing speak than I could ever come up with. But when when you look at it, you know, BYD make batteries and they sort of wrap the vehicles around them. <laughs> like, yeah. And Tesla yeah. have sort of done the same. Like really the it's a different philosophy there from someone who's a car manufacturer who's then going to go out shopping mm for a battery to suit the car you know really you could argue that tesla and byd have produced cars to suit the batteries yeah so sort of the yeah. other way around um yeah. and maybe but it makes the most it makes the most of the battery and yeah. when you think is the single most expensive component on the vehicle yeah why wouldn't you do that you know you, yeah. you try and wring every little you know watt hour of value out of that battery to enhance your vehicle yeah yeah definitely so on that, um, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of the projects that you've worked on that you can't talk about because uh, they're just, just too top secret and, you know, military stuff and all that kind of. But you, what, what, what was the best, um, what was the most exciting project that you ever worked on? Can you tell us? Uh, I think I think doing the, the Foxhound project was something that we were really proud of. Right. Um, and and it was as a business, it was the first big, uh, you know, multi-million pound deal, and it was in simple terms we were replacing lead-acid batteries. Yeah. But it was going in an incredibly harsh environment. Um, we had to massively reduce the size. We had to make sure it would heat itself up and cool itself down without any kind of intervention. And and it had to be uh, from an EMC point of view, it had to be electrically completely silent. So just for those who don't know, what was Foxhound? Okay, so it's the British government's um, replacement for the Land Rover for the army. So they've been using Land Rovers for 30-odd years, and Mm. they replaced it about uh, five years ago with a Foxhound. And it had a a V-shaped, it was a composite body and a V-shaped hull. And obviously, a lot of our soldiers had been dying with uh, through IEDs and and vehicles being blown apart. Yeah, yeah. And the shape of the chassis underneath a um, underneath a Land Rover was such that you know, if you were inside that vehicle, you had you had a ninety percent chance of dying mm. in an IED. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the Foxhound yeah. uh, and the and the V-shaped hull, you had a ninety percent chance of surviving. Right. And it really sort of changed the face of, of uh, you know, patrolling with these vehicles. It was so much safer. So then, I mean, designing a battery that was going to go into something that was being designed to be resistant to being blown up. I mean, that is literally mm-hmm. like bomb-proof, you know? Yes. <laughs> so Yeah, it was. And it was heavy, but it was very compact. Mm. And it would, you know, it was designed to last, um, you know, thousands of cycles and in very harsh environments. And, and um, you know, when it when it's sitting next to the equipment that's trying to detect 
you know, mobile phone signals, uh, you know, 100 kilometers away, yeah. it has to be completely silent. So we, I think we got land class A certification um, and we were the only company ever, and I think even to this day, you know, it was only battery ever, that achieved land class A certifi- uh, certif- EMC certification for a military application. Wow, super, super quiet. Yeah, and it was our, it was our kind of first um, big production run as well you know we subsequently we did do you know thousands of units but you know a, a sort of 400 plus units of a, a 65 kilo battery that was our, our big one and obviously you know with it the battery itself was powering equipment that was saving lives in yeah. a vehicle that was saving lives you know it's yeah it was, i suppose that's the proudest moment yeah yeah and i know um I mean, some of the batteries you've done for some supercars and there's some pretty mm. exciting things that are still like absolutely the best mm. that you could imagine that have got batteries that you yep. designed in uh, that are kicking around today. So it's... Um, yeah. And then, so you, business-wise, you, you took the decision to go from being an independent company to, to joining a larger group. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did help found a larger group, which unfortunately wasn't particularly successful. But, uh, I, you know, I'd... My wife and I were a little battle-worn yeah. after uh, you know, eight years of running our own business. So, yeah, we, we kind of stepped out of the management, and I just focused on R&D for that company. And, and that was a lot of fun for 18 months. You know, we just got to 18 months playing with batteries <laughs> and developing new technologies. And, yeah, that was that was really nice, yeah. Fantastic. And then, so now, I mean, with Warwick, that's a, it's a fantastic role. And they're really oh, – um, yeah. the, they, they've – well, they're the, they're the center for they've got the the battery manufacturing um, yep. center there, and they've got lots. So we got the so it's I think it's it's the um, uh, energy innovation center. Okay. <laughs> so and it's about sixty million pounds worth of battery testing toys. From my perspective, you know, right, it's an okay. amazing place. Um, you know, it really is. It's fantastic. And what do you? I mean, that as well would give. Well, I guess you experience in the past but then the stuff you're doing now you must see an awful lot of different ev programs and people doing battery Mm. systems and stuff what what are the main do you see like the main challenge or are there problems that repeat themselves over and over and over again that you just wish you could say ah don't do that or is every is every single one different um they they are all different but you you're also right in that you it's always the same challenge every time is you know can we make it safe yeah um to well you know safe to assemble to start with safe to operate and then safe in a crash yeah um how can you get it to last the life of the vehicle yeah um you know thermal management and that that is the key to a long life in oh. the battery. <laughs> that's good to hear <laughs> yeah it is i mean you, you know i we, we did have a lot of projects where um you know batteries were treated as throwaway no one really worried about degradation because the the role that they played in the project and their cost was inconsequential to failure right you know it had to work and and if that meant changing the battery out every 500 cycles no one cared yeah but of course when it comes to passenger vehicles and, and buses and, and what have you you know the 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 battery has to last as long as possible because yeah it's such a huge impact on the total cost of ownership for the vehicle mm-hmm. yeah so then um do, do warwick get involved with companies where they're trying to work out things like life cycle or how to you know sort all these manufacturing issues out is that yeah so a, a lot of the work there is is done on developing models of cells and understanding how they degrade mm-hmm. and and how those cells not only 
degrade but what what's the worst case scenario for that cell so even if you you know your thermal management is limited you can work within an envelope that, that actually still gives you the lifetime that you need right and and yeah they've got some incredibly sophisticated techniques and and uh, equipment and some very very clever people far far cleverer than i you know, i'm i'm you know i'm already you give me the data and i'll design you a battery yeah. but uh, you know actually working out the data that that's that's not my bag but um uh yeah yeah and, and it is the center of uk battery engineering you know you, you do see some amazing projects coming through and you get to you know my role is to, to support those projects in in system engineering and 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 trying to um you know meet a customer's requirements whether that is uh you know just give me a megawatt of power uh for for 30 seconds um and that's all you're going to do all day right and then, yeah or or um you know um as we're doing in some projects at the moment, um, you know, it's very transient duty cycles, uh, but very predictable. Right. So you, you you end up pre-cooling the battery before the before the discharge event because you haven't got enough cooling capacity to do it afterwards. So you have to do a bit before and, a, and the rest of it afterwards. Yes. Oh, wow. It's interesting. So it gets into the kind of control over the, at the system level. Yeah. The, yeah. The, I remember going around Warwick a while ago, and they used to have some labs where they were doing quite amazing see tests, but they were it was sort of I don't know what the, I'm going to say dangerous. That's probably not the right word because obviously by the time university you health mean, and safety mean, have uh, had their <laughs> way with it, it was not dangerous at all. But it was certainly no. spectacular. The, are they it, are they still doing that sort yeah, of fundamental? Yeah, it, yeah, the abuse testing, and that that's become a really big part of the work they do for OEMs. Right. Because of course that you know. They they need to understand fundamentally how a cell fails so that you can design a system and a car around that that protects the battery. And, and if it can't protect it, they, they have to understand how the cell fails so they can you know, mitigate that, that risk of failure. And of mm. course, you know, it all eventually you know, feeds into end cap ratings for passenger vehicles. Yeah, because obviously people are not wanting, you know, Battery fires are, are a big problem if, if they happen. So preventing battery fires is yep. a massive... Uh... Prevention is far better than dealing with it. Yeah. Do you do you think... Um, I mean, gosh, I remember years ago, you know, the, the cells were really difficult to handle and, and actually the slightest little thing, you, you could end up um, with a, a thermal instant with a cell. Mm. Um, I... Do you see that the sort of cell technology has improved even for these very yes. energy-dense... So they're just easy oh, to deal yeah. with. Yeah, yeah, massively. And also, I think you know, going back ten, fifteen years, people didn't understand the risks and were very blasé about it. And mm. now, you know, the health and safety is much, much stricter. So these incidences just don't occur. Um, and and actually, the technology has become far more um, energy energy and power dense. So you know, the potential for failure. Or, or the, shall we say, the potential for, of, of a thermal incident, should it occur, is yeah. significantly higher than it used to be. Yeah. It's actually far more difficult to cause it now. Right. Yeah, just basically the, the designed out at the cell level, the, some of these uh, things. Yeah. What, what, what are the big... Um, so then it's, it's sort of looking forwards, um, what, what, are, what do you think are going to be the trends and where do you see people putting all of their effort and research um, moving forwards? So there, there's always, you know, there are new chemistries coming along uh, and tweaks to chemistries coming along all the time. Right. But, um, you know, if you, can, if you can prove a chemistry at the coin cell level, 
yeah. in a lab. It could take you 10 years to get it scaled up and proven it's where you could, you know, you can build a, a gigafactory. 10 it. years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It could. Yeah. I mean, I think the the quickest it's ever happened was about five years. And even then, um, you know, that was only with the support of an OEM that said uh, on day one, OK, we'll buy a million cells. Yeah. And, and they just kept adding a zero to that um, as their business grew. <laughs> Um, so it, it does take a long time, though. You know, there, there are a huge number of steps to go from that coin cell to producing a, uh, a cell of the size that you would see in an electric vehicle, whether that's a twenty-one seven hundred or a yeah. you know a pouch cell or or a, you know a large, one of the larger cylindricals. And is that of the chemistry stuff that's coming through? Is there any kind of game changes there potentially, or is it very much uh, incremental? I. I I've thought this for about the last 10 years that lithium technology, lithium battery technology is going to grow, you know, they're going to get better and better. And then there will be something that takes over. Right. Basically. You know, I, I, I think, I don't think there's a short life in batteries. I think they have a very long life. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I can't imagine there will be a game changing technology in the next 10 years. Right. But beyond that, I'm pretty sure it's out there somewhere. I don't know what it is, but there will be an energy storage, uh, you know, there'll be an energy storage solution that is, you know, a fraction of the size um, of, you know, the technologies we have today. But I think where we are today, um, you know, commercially available 250 watt hour per kilo cells that, you know, are easy to manage. And you, know, you just look at the, the Model 3, I keep coming back to Tesla, but, you know, it's, mm. it, 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 you look at the Model 3 battery. Yeah. And uh, it's a very clever design, and I fully expect that battery to, you know, to be operational for 200,000 miles. You know, there's no reason for it not to be. And the evidence, you know, all the evidence on the Model S batteries point to that as well, even though there are different, you know, different cell size and, you know, tweaks of the chemistry. Yeah, because there's, there's then there's kind of two strands, isn't there? You've got like the fundamental chemistry, not lithium new stuff. Mm -hmm coming potentially yep. maybe some things in the wings and then you've got the tweaks on lithium but with standard kind of wet electrolyte construction methods yep. and then solid states um, yes yeah so, <laughs> so i'm i'm i i i'm really excited by it I didn't you didn't sound, sound excited but i am really excited by it yeah but i'm i'm also frustrated right that i can't actually go and buy any yet you know, yeah. and, and you have a lot of companies out there saying, oh, we're going to have solid state in our vehicles in 2020 and 2021. And yeah. I, you know, I don't know everything. I really, really don't. But um, I'm not seeing any evidence of that in the market. Um, you know, there are a couple of companies. There's one in the UK that do coin size solid state cells. Yeah. That going ECUs. That's the only solid state cell I know you can actually go and buy, you know, even, even as an OEM with a big fat checkbook, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of wonder if some of the announcements might be, because you within solid state, there's kind of two sorts of solid state. Uh, yeah. Well, you've got proper solid state, basically. So ceramic, um, you know, micro deposited layers, yeah. uh, nano technology, good stuff. Um, and that's the kind of really promising, groundbreaking mm. um, stuff, which is very difficult to commercialize at scale because um yes phenomenally difficult and i have been involved uh, on, just on the peripheral of some of that stuff and it was very very challenging you know and and, and the main thing with, with solid state is about the safety you know, yeah that's what seemed to be the big breakthrough is safety 
Yeah, not necessarily. Not necessarily the whole energy density, power density thing. Right. You know, yes. Yes. It's it's it, it is suggested, and all the evidence says there will be significant improvements. But we're not we're not at the point where uh, you know the fuel tank on an internal combustion engine uh, size uh, gives us the range in the battery. I mean, we're not we're nowhere near that comparison. Yeah. Even with solid state. Do you think the safety thing is that basically driven because of in a solid state you get rid of the um, the wet uh, volatile uh, solvent in the electrolyte? Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, and you you have nothing to leak. Yeah, and it's the leakage that you know catches an ignition source and boom, off you go. Yeah. So so that is um, <clears throat> in case anyone sort of wondering about that in a in a cell you've got basically layers of very thin sheets of material. You have an anode and a separator and a cathode and they're like you know fractions of a millimeter uh, thick sheets that are either stacked up in layers or wrapped around in a big coil and then they, there's an electrolyte um, which is uh, a solvent basically um, so you know imagine kind of whiteboard cleaner um, with lithium dissolved in it uh, lithium salts i think um, and some of the safety with the the battery the battery safety stuff comes from essentially if you get a short circuit inside the battery and the battery gets a bit hot then that solvent starts to break down and because it's a very volatile uh liquid it, it combusts or goes on fire very easily but the solid state batteries they don't have that liquid electrolyte anymore so you essentially you can still have a short circuit in the solid state battery obviously but then there's nothing there to catch on fire um other than the housing in case of the battery itself so the um the safety's potentially massively improved because of getting rid of that um nasty uh, volatile uh, liquid electrolyte exactly what he said yeah yeah and <laughs> well, so the and the other the other kind of batteries that i it's very well explained ryan that's so, really well explained thank you <laughs> well, i'm doing that now because i know if i didn't do that i'd get a question about it later so i'm heading that one off at the pass um the other kind of batteries, which is a, it's a grey area for me, and I don't know what you think of this. So I've seen some people describing solid-state batteries, and basically they're not properly solid-state batteries. So these are, they've got a kind of a non-liquid electrolyte, so sort of gel or semis. I mean, so in some industries, they're quite widely used, those batteries, aren't they? Mm. Um, would you class that as a solid state battery or not? Or? I don't know that I do, mm. but it's 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 a long way in that direction. Yeah, uh, I always think of it like uh, you know Wrigley's chewing gum kind of layer. That's yeah. your, you know, that 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 becomes your the layer, and and when it's not actually solid, yeah. At the same time, you know, it, it'll kind of hold its shape, and yeah. You know, that, so that, that I and, and I think those that technology is is far nearer to market. Yeah. Um, but again, you still can't go out and buy buy yeah. them commercially yeah I, I i just wonder if maybe that's what some people mean when they're saying solid state if they're talking about these sort of semi-solid batteries but i guess we'll see because i mean it's pretty um big companies i think the biggest one i can think of that's been talking about launching solid state batteries is uh daimler um so they came out yeah. with some publicly and said they're near with um with solid states uh, i think it was an electric was it electric truck launch or an electric bus launch is a commercial vehicle which is interesting mm. that they they tied it in with a commercial vehicle launch rather than a passenger car 
and they came out and said um, and by the way by 2022 or something um, these will all have solid state batteries in, mm. which is quite a brassy claim <laughs> yeah so, but I, I, I think I can understand why that application because it's going to be a very large battery yeah so the the power requirement um, and the you know the C rate on the cell the amount of power density you need of that cell is probably going to be reasonably low uh, yeah 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 so you don't have to have an amazing performance from these first cells that they're producing and putting in the trucks i mean that would be my guess right why they chose that application you know because you're gonna you know they're gonna be putting 250 350 kilowatt hours in there to give it meaningful range yep when actually they probably only need 250 350 kilowatts of power so it's working yeah, whereas, with 1C. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. where, you know, even, you know, you look at the Leaf, it's, uh, in it's 20, what's it, 21 or 22 kilowatt hour version. It had to produce 80 kilowatts or more. Yeah. So that's a 4C cell. And that thermally is a very, very big difference. Yeah. So this is the challenge. We've, we've talked about this before. The um, So basically in the batteries, like I said before, you've got the layers of material. And to get the energy density up, people have thinned it out and thinned it out and thinned it out to give more active surface area in a particular pack. And the solid state stuff is taking that to a whole other level in terms of like depositing material with sputtering and all sorts of clever techniques. But then um, when you thin it all out, it can't carry the current anymore that Mm. the less energy dense battery could. So the solid, it is a big challenge with solid state. um, that it's The material is now so thin. So that's great. You've got massive active surface area inside the battery but then you can't deal with high current flows because it's yeah. essentially very low cross-sectional area of the conductors inside the inside the cell so it's yeah and it's always a compromise every every cell that's ever been you know manufactured you know, and goes to manufacture is a compromise between energy density power density yeah and People, you know, the volumetric limitations what do you think of super caps in terms of um that and 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 uh, Tesla buying that uh, supercapacitor company was it Mac- Maxwell? Maxwell, yeah. So do you do you see a useful um, role for supercaps in uh, in in the EV kind of uh, battery systems? So nothing that's immediately obvious, and I I I, I kind of it, it's probably in there some way in in some kind as some kind of enabler. Mm. I think is probably their thinking behind that acquisition is that they see it as an enabling technology for something else. Mm. And whether that's as a, a grid buffer for their supercharging network mm, yeah. um, or they are changing their inverter technology and they're going to you know, use super caps, you know, they, they, I, I don't know. But I have worked with super caps on, uh, as, as a part of a, a battery system with some power electronics between the two. Yeah. And um, whilst that in and of itself was very successful, it was incredibly expensive, you know, having that extra set of power electronics in there and i you know it's always very difficult to justify the project when you can go and buy a a 200c cell that gave you the power density that you needed yeah i i don't i don't see them in passenger vehicles i think in trucks where you need you know short bursts of incredible amounts of torque i i see that there's there's possibility there Right. Definitely. But again, you know, for me, it's always about the commercial viability of the products. You know, what's the justification for adding that complexity? Is it that now you get 10 years out of your battery instead of five? 
um, then yeah, you might you might well do it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, they've been one of those super caps have been on kind of the periphery for a while, uh, and yeah. there's very I mean lots of things coming and potentially coming, but uh, yet to see that really make a big dent. So it'd be interesting to see yeah. what happens there. What, yeah, what... the energy, energy density is just way too low to be any you know practical use. I think in an EV. Yes, yeah, not your primary energy storage. No, uh, definitely. Not. No. So so any other kind of mark trends that you see or you know uh, things that you keep see coming up in in your work um so there's a there's a cell format that i think is now used in the in the zoe and it is in the ipace that is a uh a, a pouch cell that rather than having the terminals the tabs along one edge are now at opposite ends of the cell right and what that creates is a uh, a thermal path from an electrical path and a thermal path from um, the cathode to the anode. And these cells are generally, uh, you know, they're, they're, they may be you know, seven to eight millimeters thick. Um, they may be about, I've seen, I've seen some up at 150 millimeters wide, you know, most of them about 100 millimeters wide, and then up to, up to uh, 300 millimeters long. So they're a long, thin pouch with big tabs on the end right and what that effectively means is that when you're passing current through that cell it one it's a di- it's got a direct sort of you know, in layman's terms a line of sight path yeah yeah right the way through the cell and because that's the direction of the current you don't get any hot spots or any cold spots in in the cell itself and when you look at the cell when you're working it hard underneath a uh, thermal imager it's all one color yeah Whereas if you, the traditional cells where you have two tabs at one end, where you have, you know, the bit of cell between the two tabs is always hot and the corners down at the bottom are always cold. And that's terrible for degradation. Um, Really terrible. You know, cells die very quickly if, uh, you know, they're, they're not at an even temperature. So that cell format change dramatically improves the thermal performance of the cell and actually makes it really easy to to dissipate the heat as well ah interesting there's the two camps or three camps four camps so cell package so you pouch that that's really interesting in terms of um pouches and that and that pouch cells are kind of being used in a lot of new applications so a lot of the new mm. cars that are coming into the market now and trucks and buses and bah, yep yeah. pouch cells you've got the prismatics and you've got the sort of semi-prismatics but then you've also got the cylindricals and yeah. there's a sort of two yeah. big schools in terms of cylindrical versus pouch but that sounds like to me what you just described of that pouch cell that kind of sounds like a pouch cell trying to be a long flat cylindrical yeah yeah and that's always been the advantage of cylindrical cells right. that direct that direct path um, meant that you know, especially 18650s, mm. which are you know used by Tesla in the 21700 variant, um, created a very even thermal performance of the cell. Yeah. Um, but you know, cylindricals aren't cylindrical cells aren't the most uh, you know volumetrically efficient. Yeah. Packaging, so pouch tended to win um, in in, you know, in in battery design. Yeah. Uh, circles simply because they were much easier to to manage uh the, the construction and you kind of just dealt with the thermal inefficiency of it right whereas now this 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 new this new cell format 
um, actually is really, really easy to package and gives you a, a, a very simple thermal management system. Right. Far simpler than, than, than what you see in the Tesla vehicles. And do, do you think that would get over, because one, one of the other big advantages with a cylindrical compared to a conventional pouch is they're really easy to handle. Like you just, mm-hmm. like a machine gun, the cells are going in, the bus bar arrays are being welded on both sides at once. They're really yeah. easy to handle and work on. And the, yeah. and the speed at which they can be processed for manufacturing in from a cell into a pack is is huge. With a regular pouch, yeah. they're basically a bit of a pain in the backside to handle. And uh, They are. I think when you look at it at the megawatt scale, right. how mm. many pieces you actually have to process, Yeah, I think probably on balance, you know, the 21700 still wins. But you know, there isn't that much difference. And I think the, the reason that, that you know, the, the tack time or however you describe it for these for the cylindricals is as low as it is because there is a huge investment into making them uh you know very very quick to manufacture packs and i think if if some of that investment and i'm sure it will you know moves over to the pouch cells yeah and the automation techniques uh, were developed you, you get to you get to a, a similar pricing right. you know, manufactured cost and uh, uh, with I guess... a smaller more a smaller more thermally efficient system right yeah so the 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 that new um, pouch design, though, that's going to get, um, I would think, get over a lot of these issues. It's funny, I saw uh, yesterday there was a company, or something came up on my social media, it was about a company advertising uh, flat wine bottles, and it was to do with... <laughs> <laughs> Is a... it, isn't, isn't that a wine box? Yeah. It's been run over. <laughs> well, yeah, it was like a, it's a flat wine bottle, and it's to save on shipping, because you reduce right. the volume of the box significantly by going from a you know six round wine bottles in a box yeah. to uh six flat wine bottles in a box and uh i saw loads of people say oh hasn't this been done before and i said well oh. wasn't wasn't gin gin, gin brandy yeah like yeah, they were like that, don't they? <laughs> yeah uh stuff that you needed to uh take with you basically stuff down your pants uh sorry that's that was maybe too much too much from my youth <laughs> uh <laughs> but um yeah flat bottles of wine is a that's the sort of similar comparator to packaging cylindrical cells versus packaging um these larger capacity pouches where you just get that much better just utilization of space Uh, yep what about packaging alcohol compared to packaging yeah well yeah 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 yeah. that works for me yeah (laughs) what about prismatics where 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 are they um because some manufacturers are still sticking to prismatics Mm -hmm. but do do you see them having their advantages you know because all the that's what was always good about tabs on one edge of the cell is that um they're all facing up so you're only actually welding on one surface right so they have that advantage they're also a very rigid self-supporting structure like a cylindrical unlike a pouch yeah so um you know it's it's quite uh, a straightforward manufacturing process mm. and it does depend on what you're doing with the vehicle you know if it's a a hybrid where you've got high c rate uh, regenerative braking and acceleration events um you know you need something that's got a very is very thermally efficient um whereas if you've got a, a battery electric vehicle where you're charging overnight and you're using it you know, in the two, three, four hours a day you're driving, um, you know, there's nowhere near the, the thermal stress on the cell. So you don't need the most efficient 
method of yeah. of um, thermally management. But you know, there 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 is no there is no one cell for every application. But I think there are certain formats and certain cells that lend themselves very well to to particular applications. Yeah. Right. Oh, interesting. So, I I've, I've just noticed the time and. Um, we need to wrap up, actually, otherwise uh, one of us turns into a pumpkin. I'm not sure who. <laughs> uh, so thanks so much for joining us, Ian. Uh, it's been really interesting. And for everyone who's listening, I really hope you've uh, found some value from that and that you've enjoyed today's podcast. If you could share this podcast with other people to help them learn more about um, the technology behind vehicle electrification, that would be great. Leave us a rating um, or hit like. Um, and don't forget to leave a comment depending on which platform you're listening to us on um, they all seem to work in different ways but um, we really appreciate your support and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again soon